Hi, welcome to Botanical. This is your host, Matt Marquier, and today we'll be looking at the Monardella villosa, also known as the coyote mint. And I don't know about you, but whenever I say its scientific name, Monardella villosa, I just kind of want to start rhyming as this like emphatic urgency to be rhymed with. Maybe it's, it's uh, ambrosia, trying to do some yoga, but I caught a whiff of some Monardella villosa. Um, <laughs> You know, I was thinking maybe this is something else it's shared with the coyote, but then I was like, uh, I don't really know. A coyote doesn't really quite strike. I just completely draw a blank with coyote, which is honestly quite often the case for me. I, I need a lot of time. I'm a terrible rhymer on the spot. By coyote mint, although it doesn't have fuzzy ears or, or droid hunting skills, it does share the coyote's uncanny ability for adaptation. That coyote, you know, pretty much can adjust to unusual situations like the ones we have here in cityscapes, um, and it, its breadth seems to be continually growing. While that's not the case with the coyote mint, it does do fairly well wherever it's introduced here in California. It's endemic generally to foothills, it does really well in more controlled spaces, say as in a native garden here in where I live in Sacramento, or even not too shabbily in a place like in the Bay Area or on the coast. Um, it just, it does well. It's like a hardy, rugged plant, you know, like, like the ruggedness of a coyote. And somehow it seemed to have gotten the memo from the 19th century of what the California borders are because it doesn't really go reach beyond. Some of these other natives might have areas extending beyond the California borders, but this one seems pretty much within the geographic borders of the state, except for one variety that occasionally is found in Oregon. And on the varieties, there is a lot of coyote mint, and some for me are interesting others, and um, I might be doing a couple episodes in the future on other ones, but there's two primarily I'll be speaking about in this episode. So with that, I think we should... Uh, trot along and uh, we'll get more into the plant. going to start rhyming again. I won't put you through that a second time. Let's talk about it. It has a, <laughs> to me, I think it's a funny classification of being a subshrub of the mint family or the Lamiaceae, which when I was in my plant ID course, I had this demonic device, which if you're in plant ID course, I'd recommend this. I don't know. Maybe, you know, you can try it out, see if it works for you. But I'd always say mints are so lame. Lamiaceae, which ironically it's kind of, or incidentally, I'm not so incidentally, it's kind of a lame mnemonic, but hey, you know what? It works. It's something you don't forget. The ones that are like so terrible were the ones that I always had with me and still have years later. All the other ones, 
don't remember at all. Anyway, Monardella is kind of the name for all, or Monardella is the name for all the coyote mints. It is a perennial herb. It doesn't get too tall. It's about two feet in height and about three feet wide. Like It's more of like, kind of grows in like a matted bush shape, I would say. And it kind of gets all tangled up as if it's like, it doesn't have patience and just wants to go and all of them all the branches are kind of going out and just gets all tangled up. One of the best features, in my opinion, about Monardella velosa and about the coyote mint in general is its particular smell. Although it is minty, it has this, I don't know, almost like sage-like kind of rough, slightly, I don't know, not spicy, sharp, like it, like how the sage is and maybe earthy in the way, like, I don't know. This is a kind of a terrible description, but just think of like a more well-rounded because mint smells great. This is just like a, it's just a really nice, I would say, I would go as far as say exceptionally pleasant odor that on like a warm spring or summer breeze would just, it's just nice. So not surprisingly, it likes to grow our, it's, it's a, it's a strong component of our chaparral and also coastal sage scrub, like with our good friend Toyon, and also does really well in, in some of our central oak woodlands so it's kind of a thing like i said it's like a coyote just kind of gets all around the flowers also somewhat spectacular <laughs> somewhat spectacular i don't know why i would need to qualify that but it's kind of almost like a um, almost like a dandelion um and then it will have these nearly a sphere of all these budding florets or like mini flowers and i just say it's kind of like dandelion because it's just similar shape and the dandelion has also all those little it's like individual components to it that make it like a greater mass. So it's like, you know how the dandelion, the yellow is like the sun, the white, when it turns into like a puffball, the full moon. And then when it blows away, it's like the new moon. Nothing to do with this plant, but it just would be cool. If there was like a pink moon or something about like the pink coyote mint moon. Um, I'm just kind of letting, I'm just having an extreme of consciousness going right now. But um, I haven't talked about the colors. Are you generally... Are there, it's like a lavender flower, or it's more like a, say it's on the pinker hue of lavender. I really, I really wish I knew more colors because I just feel like there's so many colors that I wish I could describe better because they're in between different tones, but I just don't know exactly. But like a light pinkish purple, which I guess is lavender, but to me lavender is a little bit more on the light, almost like pale purple end of things. And these flowers are incredibly attractive to uh, butterflies that really get their heart a thumping. A lot of different moss, have been confirmed to find habitat and support through this plant. Also birds, hummingbirds, native bees, just they love it. I mean, it's not really surprising. It smells nice. It's nice to look at, nice to be around. And also just the fact that they have such a wide range distribution in different e ecologies that they can function in, you know, it makes a pretty, pretty nice habitat to have because you can kind of, you know, travel around if, 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 if you so wish. Although with saying that, I should, qualify, I should say that I don't necessarily know if they really do that, but say like a monarch. Although monarchs do like the nectar of this plant. So if you are looking for a native, um, that is a good option for butterfly gardens or even a bird garden anything, or bee garden. I mean, you kind of get it all in one with this one. And you also get that nice scent. And it blooms um, actually in a really good time. It blooms in summer, generally from June to August. It's along, the, um, it's with like, California fuchsia and some other natives that have really attractive um, summer flowers. It also does pretty well on sand to clay soils. And it's just an easy, easy plant to grow, as with most 
as with natives in general, especially if you grow them where they're meant to be, either almost only you pretty much you shouldn't. The whole idea and the large appeal to me about natives. I mean, there's a lot, but I, one of them is if you are trying to build um, a garden, or also I highly encourage you to try to cultivate habitat where you are. Is that they don't really need to be tended to um, very much at all. They can kind of they're self resilient as they happen, um, and a lot of these really haven't had that human stewardship element to them. So they can pretty much just live off the land. So this plant, um, as with a lot in the Monardella family, were used by a different Native American tribes native here to California um, for a base for a tea, and also as a base for a tea, and also for um, as different types of medicine for stomach upset, for different respiratory conditions. They used it as a um, poultice or the different parts of the plants would be applied to draw out so-called bad blood for pneumonia. This was largely by the Kosanoans, or also known as the Ohlone, which is something we've talked about in the past. But I really here want to talk about Monardella odoratissima, also known as the mountain coyote mint. And this is pretty much, it just grows like crazy all the way up in the Sierra Nevadas, down pretty much all the way due east of well, a little due north east of Bakersfield, all the way up to pretty much that whole section of NorCal above Redding, just south of Oregon. And this one has the flowers that are a little bit like they're more they're more they're generally white, but they can range from about pink to purple. Also perennial, but it's a little bit smaller. And being a mountain plant, it's still being a mountain plant still likes that full California sun, which is just like it's relative monardella and also that's kind of just true in general for mints all the mints outside of monardellas like a lot of sun but also like to be kept pretty moist i'm not going to go too much about the morphology of this one because what interests me more are its other botanical roots because there are a lot and i'm not going to be able to go over all of them and there's so many different um tribes that had used this particular one um, a lot of them were similar, as with the Velosa, as some type of digestive aid, something to cool an upset stomach. Leaves were used as a tea or also as a cold beverage. But some of the ones specific to this one are really interesting to me. The Washoe tribe used it as a cold remedy. So would the San, the San Puel, Paiute, a ton. It was also used as an analgesic. The Okanagan Colville tribe, also, there's just so many that it uses for cold re remedy also something to reduce fevers. I mean, you look at this plant, and, and I actually do encourage you if, you, if you do enjoy this podcast, that you should check out the Native American Ethnobot Ethnobotany Database because it is a fantastic resource, and it's just really cool to look at um, the history um, in a plant, like the use of it, be able to look so um, readily at the history of use of a plant because I think knowing how it's been used throughout time really kind of connects you to the plant in a way that you know, using it just as a garden or as a component of a habitat you're trying to introduce, like knowing like how you can use it um, and how you can benefit from it really connects you to um, the plant and the space that you're op that you're occupying. So I want to get into two of the more interesting uses. Um, one was that the Karak tribe would use it as a incense, I guess you would call it. Um, they would take some leaves and they would stick them in their hat. So they would have an ongoing, pleasant 
odor as they went on a journey. And I was just like, man, I should do that. I should just stick some lavender or some coyote mint or a smell I really like. Um, put it under my hat or put it in my shirt or something like that. And have that be an ongoing element of my journey, like almost like a um, like a piece of the experience. Um, and then another one, which is fitting for the month we're in and the weekend we just had, was uh, for those of you listening in the future or not really sure, not looking at the release date of this episode, uh, this is uh, February, and we just went through Valentine's Day weekend. It was used as a love medicine. And I really wish that the database here had a little bit more information because it's pulling from an anthropological record dated 1952 on a page deep into the text that I just do not believe is accessible. So I'm just having really limited information and I had to do some additional research, although that as well didn't really yield that much. And sorry, I kind of feel like I have a tendency to just kind of go on a tangent trying to explain something before even going into it. But anyway, it was used as a love medicine. And the entry here on the American Ethnobotany Database just says it was a plant used as a love medicine by women. I just think that's fascinating. Just imagining that um, tradition of gathering the leaves of this plant turning into an incense, burning it, turning into a tea. I don't know if it would be um, something ingested that would, you know, if it was like a aphrodisiac or something like that. I just think that's really interesting. And with that, you know, we're having an early spring. So, um, you know, pollen's out, the little sweet-smelling, occasionally sweet-smelling cherubs of, of the season trying to, you know, successfully shoot their arrows of love by wind or a bee or moth, butterfly, whatever, what have you. I guess in some way, us as well, you know, we're like vectors of love, sweet universe. And with that, um, I want to keep this episode short and sweet, so I will leave it at that for now, but I'm sure we'll come back to the Monardella family. If not, we'll definitely mention it as we go on, because I definitely want to talk about that, uh, the coyote bush which is just kind of like a superstar of the native plants. Oh, and also, put some coyote mint or something similar in your hat tomorrow when you go out, or if you're going on a journey. Or maybe for the next episode, try it. We can both put some mint in our hat. New, let's start moving for a new phrase, not a feather in your cap. Put some mint in your hat. All right, with that, see you guys.